0: Whoa. I don't know what I'm afraid of. I can't see y'all. It don't even matter. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of nothing because God did not give me a spirit of fear. <laughs> but of power and then of a sound mind. Well, let's pray for that sound mind right now. <laughs> oh. And so, like I said earlier, uh we're, we're diverting just a little bit out of Acts, and and uh, just for one week, uh, because God put a message on my heart during there. And and it's not it's not really a diversion because the the title of the message is uh, "Real Faith Lived Out." and And as we've been studying Acts, we've got these Paul and all these people, just the works of the Holy Spirit. The their their real faith. You can tell their faith is real by the way they live their lives. And so what we we've been seeing that all through Acts. And so uh that, that that thought just came to my mind as we were uh, studying in 1 Thessalonians earlier in the year uh, about this sermon. And uh, I just want to kind of give a little plug, though. So we do do Sunday school uh, at um, 3.30 on Sundays. And so, um, y'all quit laughing at me. I know y'all. I said doo-doo. I know that. I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, I want to give a little plug for Sunday school because we're starting a new uh, a new uh, lesson on prayer. And, and Frank is going to lead that. And so if you haven't been coming, uh, man, we invite you to come for at least the next four weeks and things like that. And so because we've been really, uh, God's really challenged me through that Sunday school class. Uh, and so really my motivation and uh, inspiration for this particular message came from teaching in first Thessalonians when he was writing a letter to the Thessalonians and so we know in acts where Paul went to Thessalonica and he was only there for like a really short time and it seemed like he got ran out of town and 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 what we've learned from that passage is that Paul got really close to these people in like only assumingly three weeks, you know, and so, but Paul got ran out of town, and some false teachers and people that wanted to discredit what Paul was going to do and came in, they tried to discourage these people by telling them, you know, this Paul, he, he's not real, you know, he, he's only in it for the money, he's only in it for, for the fame and, and, and all that stuff, and so Paul wrote the letter back to the Thessalonians. And, and, and what Paul wrote them, and Matt talked about it last week, and, and what Paul wrote them was was interesting to me. He, he's, he really was just describing his relationship with them as something that was real. Because he has a real relationship with God, he had such a real relationship with these Thessalonians that they got so close in, in only a, a matter of three weeks. And so Paul used some, some of the things that, that God had done while he was there to combat these false teachers and these false accusations. And, and, and this is what I want to tell you tonight, is that real faith lived out is a great tool and a great thing to battle false lies about who Jesus is, you know. And, and, and so, so Paul, Paul, his life, I mean, he had his witness was of something tangible. And so he would explain it to him like, you, no, y'all remember I was like a nursing mother to you. And I would never use that to describe how I was having a relationship with some of you guys, you know. But, 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 but somewhere deep down, praise the Lord for that, right? But, 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 but really, that was an intimate, real thing that if it wasn't true, the people that were in Thessalonica would have said, no, Paul, you weren't like that, you know. But Paul was real in front of them, like a nursing mother, like a father. And he worked tirelessly and didn't get paid and those kind of things. And so so this idea of this real, and we see a picture of real Paul all through Acts. And that just struck me is that being real, a real faith lived out in front of people is a powerful tool. And that just reminded me and brought me back to my early Christian walk of some people that I looked at the way that they were living out their faith. And and when I looked at them, and I, I was claiming to be a Christian, but when I looked at them, And I looked at how they were living their life and how I was living my life. It wasn't the same. And so God used the way that they lived out their faith. And one of them was a a man named Johnny Ciccola. Some of y'all might know him. You know, he was just an old cowboy, and he had got saved from the bars, and he could really, really sing. And so after he got saved, he knew that he wanted the mission, he wanted God's message to be out. And so he just would go anywhere and everywhere. And one day, uh, he asked me to go with him. And and, uh, so I would go. I went to one of the racetracks with him, and he was preaching and telling his testimony. And he said, He said, one of the things that just stuck, he said, you know, I I grew up Catholic and and all these kind of things, and I knew all the stories and everything like that. He said, but at one point when Jesus decided that, when he realized that even in his sinful state, that Jesus came and said, I want you, Johnny, it was at that point that God became real to him. And I'd never heard that before as just a religious little man roaming this earth. You know, I never heard anybody call God real. But then, God, then, then Johnny began to share stories because Johnny would go anywhere and everywhere that people would ask him. He never would ask for money or anything. And so I, I went with him. And I remember a story that he told me. He said, "He said, you know, when I came, he said on, on his way over there, he didn't have enough money. Johnny wasn't a rich man. He didn't have enough money, but to just get gas there. But he knew God told him to go there, and so he went there. And 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 every time." He stepped out in faith like that. God always came through for him. There was a real God that Johnny trusted in that 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 provided for his needs and all these tangible things that Johnny was, used to share. I got to thinking. I'm I call myself a Christian, but my life don't look like that, and so it was extremely challenging to me. And so, uh, you know, and I was learning, I was claiming Christianity by my relationship and and, and what and what Johnny his life seemed almost impossible to me to achieve, right? But for somebody, it seemed crazy to live like that, to live by faith. And, 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 but Johnny was doing it, and there was something about that that I wanted. And so I would hope that we would all want to be someone who people can look to in their complacency and confusion and say that I want what they have. But the only way that that's ever possible is if what we have is real, right? It's got to be real to us. And the only way that that happens is if God is real to us. And so, so, th- so I began this process of searching out because there was something sparked in my in, in my heart that that what I had wasn't real, but I but 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 my quest led me to Living Hope College Station, and and I saw a group of people living it out in a real way, and I was like, man, praise God, this is different, and I want that. I didn't know how to get it, but I want that. But I also realized I took this course called Experiencing God, and and, and one of the things about Experiencing God. I learned that God was always at work around me. All this time that God had been in my life, he'd been working all around me and he wanted to use me. He was just waiting for me to see him. He was going to show me his mercy. And so it was at that point when I humbled myself and I said, you know what, I may not even be a believer. I humbled myself and I said, man, this is a real God. I hadn't experienced this real God, but I want what Johnny had and I see it in a God who's been pursuing me all this time. So I put my faith in him. And I put my life on mission for God and with God. See, that's what happens when you really see the mercies of God. There's no other option for you to do but but to say, God, I'm all yours. And so that happened to me. And so uh, these testimonies are good. And it's easy for me to try to convince you of my testimony and Johnny's testimony. But we always want to get our picture of what real faith is looks like from God's word. And so there's many examples of real faith in God's words, but I was drawn as I was preparing all this stuff to a couple of women that in their faith and living of their worship, one of the things as they lived out their life and and their worship of God, two options, two times in there, Jesus would pull pull people off to the side and said, look, I want you to look at their faith. And so he was using these ladies, uh, these women as an example, and he pointed out their faith. And so as I, as I looked at these women, I found some things to help build a foundation to what a genuine walk with God looked like. And so we're going to look at a couple of women tonight to just get some encouragement from God's word of what it looks like to have real faith. But I also want to use the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12 to remind us, what real faith lived out should look like. So we're, I'm preaching kind of backwards today. Our main our main text, we'll get to it just a little bit later, but the text is actually going to be the application part the 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 uh, of this message. Because honestly, the best application we can ever have is be like James says is doers of God's word, right? And so we'll look at that in just a little bit, but I first wanted to uh the the first uh, woman is in Mark chapter 12 verses 41 through 43. I wanted to read that story, and, and we're looking for some foundational things that, 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 that show real faith. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were, were put, but, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And this is the part I want you to see. Calling his disciples to him, this is this widow putting in her offering, Jesus said, Come here, I want to show y'all something. That's my paraphrase. Come here, I want to show y'all something. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. And see, in verse 44, we see a, a, a comparison to all the other people and this widow. He said, all the other people gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And what I want you to see there is, is, is a, a present, right-then step of faith. She put in all that she had, all in. And, and as I look through scriptures, and, I, and, I've, uh, and I've even looked in some of the stuff that we're looking at tonight, this idea of being all in is really the only response that shows true faith, you know, because at the present time she put all she had to live on. Okay, she was trusting God. She wasn't planning on being broke her whole life, I don't think. I think she was trusting God with the future, and so, but she said, "God, this is all I have." But God, because of what you've done, this is this, I'm gonna give it all to you. I mean, that's a theology that we got to believe. That that, that man, God. And what he's done in our lives and the mercies of God requires us to go all in. I wish I could find for you stories in here where, where Jesus and, and, and any of the writers just glorified this cultural Christianity that we see. That whenever we feel like it, we'll serve. Whenever, you know, whenever it's convenient for us, we'll sacrifice, you know. But I don't see that in scripture. What I see is a picture of a God who did all. He went all in for us, so the response for us, I can't see it could be anything else but all in. And so we have another woman in verse in Luke chapter 7 verses starting in verse 36. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. See, that, this, that's woman that woman. This is how she's described in Scripture. A woman who lived a sinful life. And man, we should, we should be able to, to relate to her because the Bible tells us that we're all sinners in need of a savior. And so, so let's look at her response to, to Jesus. She had lived a sinful life, and somewhere we, we don't know anything about this woman except that, you know. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And I don't see anywhere in this story where she was invited to this house. So this woman, and I don't see anywhere in this story that she cared, that she was invited to this house, but because of of a of something that, that that she saw Jesus for who he was. She saw him as someone who could forgive sins. She saw him as someone worthy of worship and worthy of expensive perfume. She saw Jesus for who he really was. And in the contrast we see, In verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In contrast, the man who's supposed to be the most religious person in the room was doubting and questioning if Jesus was even real. If this was who Jesus was supposed to be. it's not the way that he expected it, and so, so Jesus says. Uh, the man said to himself, and Jesus spoke to himself. He said, "Jesus answered him. The man speaking to himself. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you." He says, "Tell me, teacher." He said. Verse 41, he said, two people, and I think that's very important because Jesus right now is is trying to level the playing field with this religious person and this this woman who is a sinner. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. He says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then, here's here's where he goes, and he points out this woman. Remember, this is a sinner uninvited to the party, to the Pharisee's house. He turns to this woman, and he begins to make the comparisons. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, which is just a common courtesy. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair which is extravagant worship i mean she did she was above and beyond you know because of this from the time i entered uh, you did not kiss give me a kiss but this woman from the time i entered has not stopped kissing my feet you did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I think sometimes when we, when we forget what God has done for us, we get like the Pharisee. We begin to look at other people's sin and things like that. And, and, and this woman has a real, her response to Jesus was an extravagant worship. And the reason is because she saw Jesus as real. She was willing to give up her dignity, all these kind of things. And in verse 29, a little bit further back, uh, Jesus is doing some other teaching. And in verse 29, it says, all the people, even the tax collectors, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. See, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so these people who accepted Jesus' word and acknowledged God's way was right were people who realized that they were sinners and need to repent from their sins, right? But verse 30 says, but the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they were, had not been baptized by John. See, they didn't see Jesus for who he was, and they, and they didn't see the need for repentance because they were comparing themselves to other people who they were much better than from their perspective. But Jesus says, no, this woman, her, her response, it says, she displayed humility. This, is, this, shows, this shows that she believes that Jesus is real. She, her gratitude and her repentance and her trust and love for Jesus. In contrast, these Pharisees, it says they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not seen the need to repent. And see, for the sinful woman, man, I, I just see this as a picture of someone, and we're going to get into Romans 12, 1 through 3 here in just a second. But for the sinful woman, it was like there was no one else in the room but her and Jesus. That's all she cared about. And it was a, such an extravagant worship. And every time I, and, and you got to imagine that the, uh, the perfume in that room just changed the whole atmosphere of that room. But she didn't care, she didn't care what anybody thought. Unlike myself and many of you, we care so much about what people think, you know. And this just reminds me of a time and a story uh, when we took a, a group of guys to Promise Keepers one year. And uh, Promise Keepers is a men's conference that many of y'all know about. And God's done some amazing stuff in there. So one year at Living Hope, we took a bus full of people because there was Manny. Some of y'all may know Manny Martinez. We, he had friends and I had friends, different churches. We took a group of maybe 50 guys or whatever. But we took this bus, you know. And uh, so one night uh, at Promise Keepers, uh, you know, they have the worship. And i tell you, I began to learn how to loosen up. At promise keepers because because there was something there's something special about a bunch of men praising God that there's just a special atmosphere, and this one guy that was with us uh the song was over, he we were doing this nice worship set, the song was over, and then a preacher begins to preach. Well, this dude that Manny brought, he was a few chairs over, he was still, and he was like this, only man in the stadium still just doing like this, you know. It's like the music ain't stopped in his head, you know? And so I'm sitting there, don't know this guy. And, you know, I've heard a lot about, I came from the dead church, right? I heard a lot about these charismatic people that just want <laughs> to, they, they just, they just want to get attention. You know what I mean? So I already labeled this dude as a weirdo. Because he was acting like a weirdo, right? I mean, nobody does that while everything is already done. And he wasn't singing, he, but he was just, man, he was into it. And finally he sat down and after a while, you know, but my mom always told me not to hang around weirdos. So so I had already made a decision in my mind, look, I'm learning. And promise it wasn't my it was like my first one, you know. I hadn't already been changed by then, you know. I was judging this guy, you know, and I was looking at, at the way he was worshiping, and I was like, Man, that's just weird. And so when we left the 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 stadium, we got on the bus, and for some reason, I don't know why I'm always the last one on the bus, but I, got, I was the last one on the bus, and when I got on the bus, I'm looking, and all my buddies, they done paired up and everything, and next thing I know, the only seat left was next to the weirdo. <laughs> so I sat next to the weirdo, right? And so, y'all know me, I can't just let well enough alone. So I asked him, I said, man... What was going on? I saw, I saw you. I just want to know what's going on with you in that particular situation. And, man, when I was so convicted. This dude was much the polar opposite of a weirdo, right? He just began to share with me. He said, man, I'm going to tell you, when I finally realized what was going on, I looked around, there wasn't nobody else standing up. He said, I was embarrassed. But he said, man, I got to worshiping, and those songs spoke to my heart so much to the point to where I just remembered what God had done. He delivered me from drugs. God delivered me from a variety of different things, and he was working on his marriage even at that time right there. And he said, man, I couldn't help it. I just, I don't know what happened. I was just sitting there praising God, and I lost it. And, man, that was That was convicting. Because what I saw as a weirdo, God was probably looking down from heaven and saying, that's my boy. That's my boy. You have been forgiven much. And so you worship. And so sometimes I think our worship turns into to just rote stuff, just, just, just what everybody else is doing. And, man, I want to tell you as an as a elder in this church, and I hope the other guys don't get on to me, and I give you all the, the freedom to worship God however you want to worship God because ultimately, now, there are some guidelines in God's Scripture, you know. And, saying I'm not talking about being weird for weird's sake, right? I'm talking about allowing God to speak to your heart and you worship God in a way that you want to worship God because we serve a God worthy of that. And so, so that, was such a, that's, that was such an impactful time to me because being forgiven, it demands a response, amen? And so now we're going to get to Romans 12, 1 through 3. Because he starts in verse 1, he says, therefore, and we know from what we studied about Romans 3, therefore, honestly, therefore could be everything we just talked about. The fact that Jesus chose us and made it possible for us to be his through the blood of jesus christ and he, and the fact that he made that available to anybody and everybody and even the gentiles we get to be grafted in that's what it talked about in in, in romans because of what jesus did you know we were not the chosen people but now we are because of jesus's blood and so therefore and He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, I urge you, brothers. And that's not just a little, I wish you would do this, all right? This is a strongly encouraging. For Paul, we realize that, that Paul had a dramatic change And for Paul, the only this living sacrifice, and and what he's going to talk about here in just a little bit, was really, from Paul's perspective, he didn't see any other option than for you to go all in with God because of what God had done for him, for what Jesus had done for him. He says, I urge you, and if I could make you, I really believe Paul is saying here, if I could make you do it, I would. But I realize my influence on you is only limited, right? So he can't... He says, so he gives them the motivation. He says, in view of God's mercy. And so we realize that the mercy of God, if you ever get to see God's mercy, is because God allowed you to see the mercy. You didn't just wake up one day and see the mercies of God. God opened your eyes just like he did Paul. And for Paul, Paul, the scales fell from his eyes and, and he could see. And his first action was to be baptized, showing his belief and identification with Jesus. And see, Paul, we know from from Scripture that he wasn't ever the same. And like in the the prepare verse that I read, it says, his grace was not without effect. And so what we see is the grace of God into Paul's life. And what we're seeing all through Acts is the grace of God lived out in Paul's life. And it's such a powerful thing to to, to look at. Because God's grace is foundational, and it should give us power and motivation, right? God's grace. God's grace. And so I want to ask you here tonight, have you seen God's mercy? Is God real to you personally? Has God opened your eyes to the fact that he's your savior? You come to the point where you get to that uh-oh point in your life, or maybe you're like me, you've, you've seen somebody else that seemingly live in a different Christianity than you, but then God opens your eyes and says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all in because my son went all in for you. Have you seen him? Have you seen his mercy? And when you begin to see him as your savior, these tangible things that God does for you, he becomes your provider, your healer, all those things. I hope you have a name for God, a personal name where you got to see God work in your life to where you could say, no, it was only God that provided for me, and he's my provider, and he's my hope. There's no hope in this world, folks. Our only hope is in Jesus and our only hope is for heaven. And so, so he is our hope. And, and, and because of that, he's not just a part of our life. He's my reason for living. And he needs to be, if you're calling yourself a Christian here tonight, he needs to be your reason for living as well. Because for me, God rescued me from darkness, and he set my life on a different course. And I think about Moses and I think about how God finally came to him after Moses was there and spoke to him through the bush. And Moses and he gave him his this this marching orders that Moses says, there Ain't no way I can do it. But Moses said, Well, who do I say sent me? And God said, Tell them I am sent you. And that's such a powerful thing right there. For Moses, God was the I am. Moses, you need strength? I am. Moses, you need encouragement, I am. And that's the kind of God that we serve. We serve an I am God, the present tense God that wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. And so why do we try to compartmentalize him? He wants to be in every part of our lives. Because he is the reason you're saved, right? He's the only reason you're saved. And so we have this saving faith solely on everything that Christ did pursued by God to us, secure, guarded in heaven by God. Praise God for that. But because of your saving faith, and see, that can't be stolen by anybody. But because of your saving faith, you have what I call living faith. This real, and so my question to you tonight, is your real living faith, is your living faith real? Is how you're living your life right now worth imitating? Is it salty? Is it enlightening to people? Is it convicting even that, you know? And there's a good chance. Some of y'all may say yes, but there's a good chance. Some of us, because we go through these stages, some of us may be saying, no, I'm not quite there yet. So I think the rest of this, this passage here are some action steps for us to renew our faith because we all need renewal, right? None of us are perfect, some of us. And so, so we know this walk of, uh, uh, of faith, it, it, it's hard. And so one thing we see in this scripture and as a foundation for real living faith, it includes a voluntary sacrifice. Once you become saved, your living faith is voluntary. It's hard to understand, but, but in my mind, in view of God's mercy, why wouldn't you? And I keep, I keep asking myself that. In view of God's mercy, why wouldn't I voluntarily sacrifice? Because it's hard, right? But all the hard things Jesus ever asked us to do, he modeled for us first. He gave up his life. He died to himself. He submitted to the Father. And it was hard and painful, but for you and me, it was worth it to him. And so why wouldn't we sacrifice voluntarily because he says to offer your body as a living sacrifice and this idea of offering is it's a matter of the will it's a response and i'll be honest with you i don't really understand in myself and other people such different responses to the mercy and grace of god i'm not talking about brand new christians here because when you're a babe in christ you're just learning and whether you're going to be able to trust this god or not but man, I'm talking about people who have claimed Jesus for years and one of them is willing to sacrifice it all, but then the same person with supposedly the same spirit is willing to settle for <laughs> cultural Christianity. I just really don't understand it. And the reality is it happens to me as well. And so, so these, these things that Paul puts in Romans 12, 1, and 2, and 3, they're so valuable for me. Because the grace of God comes in in my weaknesses. And he comes and he undergirds me. And he says to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And so what does that look like to offer your body? And I think about that. And if you don't get anything else out of tonight, this one action step, I just, I just want to put it in your heart tonight, is that if you're going to offer your body you need to go to the altar regularly. You know, some of y'all, you may have a physical altar at your house that you get to go to every day. But, that, but, but I don't know, that's not what this verse is saying, that you've got to go to a physical altar every day. But I'll tell you right now, for me, I have to, when I wake up in the morning, if my mind isn't the first thing I think about God, <laughs> what are we doing today? You know what I mean? If if that's not the first thought in my mind, I need to take captive any other thought and bring it to the altar. And I just want to encourage you to do that because if you will do that, I promise you God will speak to you. And I think God will become even more real to you. But go to the altar. Some of you, it may be a room. But for me, honestly, some of the hardest things to do is push back that first layer of covers. You know, it's hard sometimes because you're like, man, I'm tired, I'm old, you know, these things are sore. I don't want this body, why do you want this thing, you know? But our body includes a lot of different things. It's your actions. You get to go to the altar and say, God, I got all this going on today, and I ain't got the patience one to deal with it. So you put that on the altar and you offer that action. You alter where you go, what you say. Even what you think. See, that's part of offering your body, right? But also, your will. Man, that's the one of the biggest enemies we have. Man, you go regularly and say, God, not my will, but your will. And that's a, that's a, that's a hard prayer, you know? But honestly, I'm going to tell you right now, prayers really don't, I don't know how pow- powerful our prayers are if we go to God with this, our own will. I remember Mueller, he was talking about uh, how when he was praying that 90% of the the battle in there was getting his heart in such a state to where he didn't have a will of his own. That's when prayers become powerful, when we we get out of the way with our will. And our body also includes our emotions, right? This fear, this anxiety. Y'all don't know how many times I threw anxiety on the altar this week getting ready to stand up in front of you (laughs) you know it's, it's just ridiculous but here's the thing god takes it every time because what god wants is he wants me to be a living sacrifice and what motivates me is i remember my baptism what happens at your baptism the picture that happens there is is that we are buried with christ see our sin is paid for we're buried with christ it's paid for but the living sacrifice don't stay dead the living sacrifice is buried with christ raised to walk a whole new life right and so so i bring to the altar those things that need to need to go and i bury them with christ but then as i raise again i walk cleansed ready to walk a new life in first peter 2 5 it describes the christian as a living stone and the last time i checked a stone didn't place itself anywhere The stone is in the stonemason's hand and he's able to put him wherever he needs him to build whatever he's building. And so as you go and you consider yourself a living stone, what you're doing is you're offering your life to build God's kingdom, not your kingdom. We're offering that to God. Willingly. But cultural Christianity says, do it when it's convenient. But scripture says, All or nothing. You mean all in. All in with God. So the idea of a sacrifice wouldn't have been appealing thought to any of these people because the sacrifice died and it was burned up. So neither is this idea of going to the altar offering to our flesh. And that's our main enemy. But we need to voluntarily go to the altar and allow God to burn off the impure things of our lives. Amen? Because real living faith recognizes the need for ongoing uh, purification. So we voluntarily deal with our will. And so some of the things we know, the obvious things that need to be burned off is sin, right? There's some sins that we know, but there are certain sins in our lives that we don't really, aren't really aware of. And as you go to the altar and you ask God to search my heart, because I'll tell you right now, you sin a lot more than you realize, (laughs) you know? And it's not even the things that you do. Sometimes they're sins of omission, things we miss out on. And sometimes we go to the altar and we put our unknown sins on the altar and God begins to re- reveal things that may need to go in our lives that, uh, that is uh, talked about in, in the area of the vine and the branches. Sometimes God may say, look, it's not bad, but we need to get rid of some leaves off of this vine because it's not producing the fruit that I want and that I need and that the people need to see. And so sometimes even good things need to go, and as you go to the altar, God reveals those to you, but you have to be voluntary and willing to do that. And believe me, I'm preaching to myself, but I've been going to this altar all week and all for the last month, and, and, and I'll tell you, it is really, it was, it's really freeing to just put it all on the altar and say, God, show me and do what it is, whatever you want with it. Because the reality is our bodies and will are terrible masters. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> terrible. But given as a sacrifice in the hand of God, it's a pleasing aroma. Because God loves it when we deny ourselves. Because we begin to look like his son. God loves it when we do that. And then we then we begin to 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 be to, to fulfill the purpose that God had for us. Holy and pleasing to Him. Because this idea of being, being holy is just set apart for our spiritual use, right? And so, so this holiness is a willingness to give all, honestly, and pleasing to God. And nothing pleases God more than we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross daily, and we follow Him. All through Scripture, it says this walk of faith is going to cost you everything. But it's going to be worth it. Anybody anybody testifying right here that feels like they've given up so many things, but God, it's worth it to walk this faith out with God and through God and for God's purpose, it's worth it no matter what what, what we go through. And so we may be looking at this idea of total submission and extravagant worship as an impossible task. But what Paul says here, he says, it ain't impossible. This is true and proper worship. This is just reasonable. (laughs) For everything that God's done, this is is a reasonable response for what God's done. This this is not over the top. You know, this is is reasonable. But we know we fall short and, and praise God for the grace that picks us up and motivates us and just keeps on giving. And he keeps on moving us towards him and keeps us going. And so Paul goes and he gives gives another another instruction here because he knows that we're gonna have issues and he knows and, and he really gave two two enemies of this. It says the world and our minds. <laughs> he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed for the renewing of your mind. So so I just want to challenge you. We live in a crazy world, amen. Where we can't just blend in to this world. And honestly, if you think about it, why would you want to? Because this world is messed up. This world is a place where Satan has limited, temporary, God-given control. But it also appeals to our flesh. and, And Satan having so much control in this world, I can tell you the things of the world the full purpose is to, to, to drive you away from the Lord and deceive you into thinking that you're missing out on something. That's what, that's what Satan does. He's never changed his M.O. And the world is a broken place. Man, the value system is not the same as God's. Man, I've heard more about the lottery lately. of These people who want to win the lottery. Man, we live in a world that says to win the lottery is better than for somebody to be saved. How backwards is that, right? But we fall for it. We fall for it as well. And we live in a culture where, where if you do something wrong with the right social media avenue, whatever, and you do something in public, whatever, our culture just says you're done. You know, this cancel culture, that's some weird terms. I don't even know what all that means. But it's just, it's just so opposite of the grace of God. God's got endless grace. You ain't never canceled because if, if, if you confess your sins, He's faithful, not you. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But to the world God's mercy and forgiveness is not normal. But the gospel says to us that we but the gospel introduces us to a different kind of normal that we're forgiven and we're not condemned. We're no longer ordinary. We're a child of the king. So we can't let the world's value system become ours because the world really does have an agenda and it ain't to build you up and it's surely not to promote God. And, and, and honestly, the world, it advertises success, but it leads you to miss out on real hope, real joy, real peace. And as we said before, it already appeals to our flesh. The whole book of Hebrews, is, is the theme of the book of Hebrews is to remind God's people that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than this world. Jesus is better than religion. Jesus is better than everything. And I'm here to testify, and I'm sure we got a room full of people that would testify that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. So go to the altar. Ask God to show you some of the world's tricks because the world's got tricks, man. There's things to avoid, right? And I'm not talking about, and, and I'm going to do just a couple that I deal with, all right? And I'm not talking about legalistically just because you think you're supposed to, but out of necessity because your heart needs to be pure and holy and set apart. And there's things in this world that are fighting against that, right? For One, of the, one for me is media, Man, the news. I, I I gotta say in between me and Dina and it's about the weather and the news. You can check it, but don't watch it. Right? I'm not saying we just bury our head in the sand and act like we don't know what's going on. We can check the news. But, man, to sit around and watch it hours and hours on end, man, that's, all that's doing is implanting negativity and, and all kind of depression can happen. if you Because the reality is, is, is it shows you what it wants you to see. And the whole reason that they have it hours and hours is because it wants to keep you watching. We're being programmed. You know, and I'm not no conspiracy theory or whatever, but I tell you, I am a little confused sometimes because phones, they, they, they mess with my mind. Because I'll be sitting around talking with somebody, and we'll be talking about something, this or that or this or that. Next thing I know, I get on my phone, and there's a dang ad just what we've just been talking about. I'm like, man, that's freaky. Now, I've had it explained to me in a way that I still don't understand something about algorithms or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like, like this phone can figure out your tendencies and, and, and entice you with these kind of things. But One thing I do know, if a phone is smart enough to do that, don't think the devil can't. Don't think the devil don't have algorithms on you. The devil has a plan. He has a game plan, just like a sports team looks and they look at the tendencies of these teams so they'll know how to react. The devil has a game plan for your life. And that's why you need God. And you need to learn to walk by faith. I need to learn to walk by faith because to the world, to walk by faith is weird. <laughs> but to God, it's a normal thing. And one other thing I want to share with you is that silence is a... Is a is a form of conforming. Because we can't just withdraw the light. we got to learn how to speak the truth in love. And many times that's done in a relational situation, right? But here's the thing. Hard subjects can be addressed through relational love in God's Word. Real love can deal with hard situations, especially if you're a believer on believer. But I'm going to tell you what. Some people, they'll receive love because all they get from most Christians is hate. You can still hit these hard subjects because you're not narrow-minded or hateful or a bigot for standing for God's truth. You got to just put that in your heart. But at some point, we have to love people enough to know that it's not the sin, that it's not the person that we have issues with. It's the sin. And so somewhere through relational things, we cannot conform to the pattern of this world and just zip up our lips. Because you know what? We have life in our words. We have life. He says, So do not be conformed by the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for me, I've already said it a number of times, one way I do that, is go to the altar. Wherever that is, if you're at your house, in your mind, whatever, go to the altar. Use God's word in context. But, it's, but but one of the most safest places to study God's Word and learn what God's Word, and and, and for me, I, I read God's Word too, but also I'll study it. I'm going to tell you, studying God's Word and seeing what it really says, man, there's some powerful stuff, even in some commentators and things, and so really learning what God's Word is saying is, is, is such a valuable thing to renew your mind. But also, it's, it, the, another valuable tool that we have is this right here, Christian community. God's Word Put on the altar in Christian community. There's a passage in Scripture that that I always go to, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, there's that word again. Not just some of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because you think about that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You're gonna lean more heavily on one thing or the other. You're either gonna trust God's word or you're gonna trust your own understanding. But it says lean not on your own understanding. Don't put the majority of the weight on what on what you think is right or what feels right. Sometimes your perspective is totally wrong. What about what about Peter? Man, he 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 confessed that Jesus was the Christ, and three sentences later he's calling him Satan. You know, and so 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 our perspective and our own understanding, even though it may be valid at times it's not worth leaning on god's word and his purpose those are the kind of things that we lean on our own understanding in all your ways not just part of them all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight he says and when we do that then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will and some of the writers in our Sunday school book, they made some statements kind of in regard to that that I, that I really, really liked. It says, we have a responsibility to provide evidence of our relationship with Christ. We have a responsibility to bear fruit. If we're his children, we need to bear fruit. And we have a responsibility to be real, to show people that Christ, that we have a relationship with Christ. And we're also it's also God's will. That we are called to call others into a relationship with him. Man, if you want to get an exciting testimony of somebody who stepped out in faith and began to share Christ with somebody, talk to Frank Wingfield when you leave here. There's There's a young man named Andy out at the land over there that received Christ because of the faithful walk and witness. And God when Frank was out there. So y'all, y'all talk to Frank about that. Man, it's, it's amazing to get to see that when we live out our faith in a real way in front of people, God, because y'all know Frank as well as I do. Nothing fires him up more than talking about Jesus. And God, because of Frank's, and we're not building Frank up here. We're talking about the Lord, right? An obedient service, living out their faith in front of people, God uses in a powerful way. And so y'all, it, 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 it's such a, because one thing we don't ever want to do, we don't want to, we would praise certain things, but this man went from death to life. Can we just give out a hand clap? I mean, you know, sometimes we hear it and then we just decide to act like that's normal. That's not normal that people get saved in our society today. So it's, it's a praiseworthy thing, right? And so I got some scriptures I'm about, I'm about to finish up on y'all. I don't know, y'all ready for that? Um, 1 Thessalonians, this is about the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful. Anybody want to finish it for me? When? Always. Not sometimes. (laughs) This is an all-in guy we serve right here. Be joyful always. God, is that hard? But here's the deal. You can be joyful always because the true definition of joy for me i learned studying that as well is this predetermined disposition to trust god it has nothing to do with the circumstances so we can be joyful always we can trust god always right no matter what the situation is in front of us so be joyful always it's possible pray continually i'm working on that one (laughs) give thanks in all situations not some for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And when I see that verse, I just see a continual focus in the worship of God. And just, it's, it's all about God. 1 Thessalonians 4, three, it's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you continue to keep going to the altar and don't settle. All right? 1 Peter 2.15, for it's God's will that by doing good, your witness You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. See, as as we walk out our faith by doing good, our witness can silence this foolish world. Uh, Foolish men, uh, you can just put in the world from my perspective. You know, God uses that. And for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, self-preservation is a great adversary, and that's one of the things that 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 keep us. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think of our situation more highly than we ought. And I just was thinking about that. I mean, I man, if Jesus did that, no one would be saved, right? Nobody. If Jesus thought of himself above everybody else, man, we we would all be miserable. And so, I want to leave you with this. One more scripture. Matthew 6, 9 through 10, it's the very beginning of the Lord's prayer. And I think it's so powerful because we know the rest of the prayer that we ask God to give us our daily bread and those kind of things. But we set the tone, and and I think this just sums up everything I'm trying to say tonight. Matthew 6, 9 through 10, our Father in heaven. This idea that it's our Father kind of, kind of nullifies that that verse that says do not think of yourself more highly than y'all see we're praying for our father this is not it's not just my father it's your father too it's our father in heaven see god is way above us he's in heaven for one he's where we want to be but he also has a perspective that neither none of us can see when up in heaven the high perspective i heard it put like this one time is that it's like seeing a parade god can we see it right on the ground as it goes by But God says it from the beginning to the end. And so this is the God that we're we're talking about here. Hallowed be your name. And this should be our mantra as Christians. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last time I checked, God's the boss in heaven. God's the focus of heaven. God is why we want to go to heaven. We want to be with him for eternity. And so we're asking God, God, let's have that here on earth as it is in heaven. And so your action points are go to the altar often. Voluntarily die to yourself and submit to God. And don't be afraid of being a weirdo for Jesus. Because if you live right in this world in a way that that pleases God, you're going to be a weirdo. Just know it. Show that your love for him is real by the way You live your life, all motivated by the mercy and grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the fact that you require everything from us, God. It's not a burden. God, as we see your mercy and we see what we get, God, it should be a reasonable thing for me and my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray for your grace and your mercy and your power to help us, God. We want to be the kind of people that people look to in their complacency and want what we have, God, and we want to be able to point them to you because, God, we want to be used by you to bring people into your kingdom. And, God, if there's anybody here tonight, God, that just needs a fresh touch from your hand, God, I pray that you would minister to them at this time of, of, uh, of invitation, God. I pray that people would deal with you. but I pray for a revival here, God. I pray that you would do mighty things in this place. Because we know, God, your gospel, you gave up your life for us, God. And so our response should be to give ours for you. And so I pray for that. I pray, God, that you would give us the power and the will and the desire to do that, God. So we bow before you as our creator and our only way to heaven and our only reason for living. God, we bow before you, and I pray that we would just worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name I pray.